The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. This episode of Into the Night is brought to you by our loyal listeners and followers. Fazbear Entertainment appreciates your viewership and those who support the show by commenting, sharing, and subscribing. If you wish to support this broadcast, please consider checking out the official merch store and Patreon for more information. This episode is a continuation of our Security Breach audiobook series. If you haven't watched from the beginning, we recommend starting at episode 26, Security Breach, and listening to all episodes to this point to know the full context of the storyline so far. Gregory found himself in a disoriented state, unsure of his location, but acutely aware that he had fallen into Vanessa's clutches. He had no idea what she had done to him, but his body felt weak and frail, and as he gazed upwards, the most he could do physically was follow the divots in the ceiling partitions. He was so close. He was right there, just one locked door away from leaving this place for good. Freedom seemed within reach, but the prospect of escape had turned into the grim possibility of becoming a permanent resident of this neon-lit prison. A pharaoh's tomb, if instead of gold, the king of Egypt had been surrounded by overpriced commodities and cheap plastic wares. His only glimmer of hope to be saved was now in the hands of a gigantic metallic teddy bear who was completely oblivious to the perils that surrounded them both. He didn't get it. Why him? What made him different from the others? Why had he been consigned to this colossal bastion of consumerism and corporate negligence? The more he thought about it over the course of the hours, the more none of it seemed to add up. His own story seemed obscured, missing pieces, as if it had begun at the end before it ever truly started. With a groan, Gregory shut his eyes, sensing a faint, almost electric buzz in the recesses of his mind. Gradually, the mental fog in his mind started to clear, revealing a previously concealed doorway. He was standing right in front of it, in his mind, and it was open just a crack, enough to beckon him forward, enticing him with the offering of answers. He hesitated. Was he sure he wanted to uncover the truths that were locked away in there? Regardless, he understood that whatever lay behind that door 
no matter if he could fully comprehend it or not, was a reality he had to confront. For whatever the truth had in store for him, he knew he could live with it. He will live with it. He can live with it. This is episode 31, GGY. It was just like any other day of school for Tony, except a lot more dreary as the clouds casted shades across the school grounds. The old school windows quivered in response to the cloud's relentless barrage of thunder, just as Mrs. Sato's chalk scratched across the blackboard. Tony's gaze drifted to the rain-soaked world outside, where the tempest rent the heavens asunder and the deluge pummeled the earth. For a brief moment, he thought he could see a large human-sized figure in between the bright flashes of hot blue light, but that would be absurd. It was merely a trick in the storm, shadows and light playing with him. He returned his attention to his creative writing instructor, Mrs. Sato, who had just penned the words, Fiction stretches the boundaries of reality on the blackboard. True, yet sometimes, the truth can be even stranger than fiction. Another ear-splitting boom reverberated outside, causing the entire school to tremble in its might. Tony's focus slowly shifted back to the relentless rain, and within seconds, he witnessed a searing white bolt tearing through the firmament. In the lightning's wake, a tree limb plummeted through the downpour, crashing onto the school grounds. Usually, misfortune struck beneath people's very noses, not from the skies above. But peril lurked in every corner, even in the environments one deemed secure. Tony's many investigations have taught him that life's serenity could, in the blink of an eye, transform into a malevolent surprise. <gasps> Something prodded Tony's shoulder. He gasped as he spun to his right. Space out much? Tony's best friend asked leaning across the space between their desks, holding a stack of pale blue papers in front of him. Tony responded with a casual grin, attempting to mask the fact that he clearly leaped from his skin. He accepted one of Mrs. Sato's assignment sheets before passing the rest along. As Tony perused the upcoming project, a heavy sigh escaped from his lips. Another venture into the realm of fiction. Not that there was anything inherently wrong with fiction, but Tony had harbored aspirations of refining his non-fiction writing skills in this class. At a mere 12 years of age, he firmly believed he was destined to become an investigative reporter. He may have been young, but he had the aspirations and he knew he could develop the talent to become one. But while the course syllabus had promised that creative writing would encompass all facets of proficient composition, Miss Sato had thus far fixated solely on the class playing around in the world of make-believe. Ironically, Miss Sato didn't seem like a woman with a large imagination. While all other classrooms in the school were decorated with educational posters or charts related to their subject matter, 
The creative writing classroom was surprisingly uncreative. Bare and yellow plastered walls with a blackboard in front of the room, a whiteboard opposite to the windows, and a shelf of novels on the back. One could argue that the blank walls were a representation of a blank piece of paper, ready to be given life to the strokes of the imagination of a brilliant writer. But Occam's razor cut through those generous thoughts and doubts for Tony, letting him know that Miss Sato was probably, and most likely, just lazy. Just as Miss Sato had finished speaking about the subject of the assignment, on that of a mystery with a focus of subplots that seemed to have nothing to do with the overall mystery, but were actually essential to it, the bell rang. As the class began packing up, Miss Sato spoke above the clamor, reminding them that, like all the projects, this was a team exercise, and to pair up in teams of three. Tony smirked at that reminder. As he got up to pack his things, his mind was already teeming with ideas for his story. It had to be, given he would be the one taking the lead on these kinds of projects. Hmm. He always was. As usual, the three amigos. Oh, great and wondrous great American rioters. Tony glanced at his friends and smiled. He knew what was about to come. You've already picked our numb to plums. The curly black-haired kid, whom Tony had been friends with ever since their moms, across-the-street neighbors, had brought them together on a play date when they were four years old, flashed his signature lopsided grin. When his friends had learned the term nom de plume at the start of the school year, it had been him that twisted it to nom de plum. Now, whenever they had to be assigned a writing assignment, they insisted on choosing a new pen name they had to call each other by throughout the whole process. Tony stood up and began stuffing the pale blue sheets into his backpack as his friend continued. I'm going to be Boots. Why Boots? For Puss in Boots, a clever cat. That's me. Oh, okay, got it. Boots. And he is going to be Dr. Rabbit. Why Dr. Rabbit? You can call him Rab for short, and the name just came to me. Rab, as he would now be called, was a relatively new friend. Tony had introduced himself at the start of the new year just to be friendly. He had looked a little lost and uncertain about his surroundings. They hit it off well enough, and he invited Rab to work with him and Boots on their first writing assignment. Ever since then, they have worked on every writing assignment together as the Three Amigos. Or rather, Tony worked on every assignment by himself, and Rab's and Boots would interject their own ideas into the final product that Tony would have to work in. As Tony finished packing up, Rab ran one of his hands through his messy brown hair, which he admitted to cutting himself, before pointing a finger gun at Tony. What about you? Hmm, I'll be Tarbell. Don't tell me, a reporter, right? <laughs> Tony nodded, not feeling the need to explain to Boots that Tarbell was a famous muckraker in the late 19th to early 20th century. Boots wouldn't have cared, but Rab might have. Tony had a feeling that Rab had layers that Boots would probably never have. He was a nice in-between of Boots' goofy and cut-up personality, and Tony's more serious and organized tendencies. So guys, did you want to get together and start brainstorming ideas for the story? The story can wait a day. Me and Rab are talking about hitting the arcades at the pizza place. But- Hey, the best ideas can't be pushed out. They need to sprout from the fertile soil of destruction. Touche. I still think we should do a little bit of brainstorming. Story's not due for two weeks. We got plenty of time. 
We can probably knock out the brainstorming in only a few hours. So why do now what we can do even better later? You two only say that because you know I'll get started without you both. You always do. And we love you for it. Take a break. I'll catch up with you guys in a little bit. You leave in to people watch so soon, Tony? The Freddy Fazbear Mega Pizzaplex lived up to its grandiose name. It was Mega. Every nook and cranny overflowed with a sensory assault of dazzling sights, sounds, and experiences. Tony and his companions adventured through almost every attraction of the domed compound. They braved the Faz Coaster, vied into Monte Gator Golf and Bonnie Bowl and navigate the tubes of the towering Faz Tower. Yet, for Tony, the true gem of the Pizzaplex resided within the heart of the place, the Fazcade, often referred to as the West Arcade. It was part three-story arcade, part karaoke haven, and part disco inferno, home to its rather large and strange host, DJ Music Man a massive animatronic spider spinning tunes on his personal stage amid the dance floor. The relentless thump of the bass intermingled with the cacophony of pings and zings on the arcade machines transformed the Fazcade into an overwhelming vortex that could leave Tony with a splitting headache if he stayed too long. Perhaps it was fitting then that the Fazcade featured a spider as its mascot, with the walls and carpet adorned in spiraling infinite purple webs. Everyone, whether lost in games, music, or dance, was ensnared in the web of Fazbear Entertainment, a tangled trap that would soon drain them of every doll they could suck out from them. Tony doubted that they planned for that ironic storyline, given the glitzy presence of the golden statue of the glam rock band at the arcade center. Tony was currently meandering around the Fazcade, Boots and Rap had become absorbed in a basketball competition at the Puppet's basketball game machine. Tony's aimless meandering wasn't just an escape from the overstimulating arcade environment. It was an expedition for inspiration for their storytelling project. People watching was his tranquil muse, a chance to witness individuals, especially adults, shedding their burdens for a moment and instead of getting lost in fleeting moments of pure joy. Tony may have only been 12, but he was old enough to know that living could be a hard and heavy thing to do. Maybe other 12-year-olds hadn't yet come face to face for how difficult and awful life can be, but Tony had. Over the last two years, Tony's dad had gone from being a successful, well-paid accountant for a big corporation to a convicted felon. He read online that his father was accused of embezzlement of over $100,000 from a company he worked for. Tony's dad had denied it, of course, but the jury didn't believe him. Tony's father found himself sentenced to two decades behind bars and burdened with an unattainable fine. Tony's family had gone from a luxurious house in a pristine neighborhood to sharing a cramped space in his parental grandmother's home. His morning vista had transitioned from manicured lawns and the soothing symphony of automatic sprinklers to a parsed moonlit yard disturbed by the nightly train's clamor. Of course, it could have been worse. Tony's grandmother had offered refuge for them. His mother, who had been a stay-at-home mom, 
secured a job as an administrative assistant following his dad's imprisonment. And he still could regularly hang out with his friends, even though the only reason he had the time and money to hang out inside the Pizzaplex was because he spent his evenings doing yard work and odd jobs for retired folks in his new neighborhood. Rab and Boots, who'd still had their well-off families intact, didn't understand how all good things can come to an end. Life came easy to them. Too easy. And when they get out and see what the real world is going to demand for them, they'll be in for a rude awakening. As Tony's thoughts kept wandering alongside him, he found himself by a row of pinball machines. Two preteen girls, probably at least two or three years older than Tony, were in a fiery and loud competition on two separate machines. From their trash talk and devilish smiles, Tony could tell they were trying to outdo each other and were probably really close friends. The taller girl at the pinball machine to Tony's left boasted long black hair with braids, while the more petite girl on his right had fiery red hair. Both skillfully manipulated the flippers, accumulating points in the hundreds of thousands at a time, a feat that seemed impressive in this particular game. Yet, as Tony observed their intense match, a nagging itch crept at the back of his mind. He furrowed his brow, scrutinizing the machine's artwork, its design, until his gaze landed upon the high scoreboard. G-G-Y? G-G-Y, whoever they were, had eclipsed all other players in the game by millions, a feat accomplished on both machines the girls were engrossed in. Watching the girls' gameplay more intently, Tony could tell they were masters of the game. They possessed an uncanny control over the metallic ball on the board, and seemed to have an innate sense of this particular machine's tilt sensitivity. Both nudged it frequently, adeptly pushing the limits without being called out. As Tony observed, he could see their unwavering focus on the game, even though the redhead attempted to maintain a facade of nonchalance. A pulsating vein on her forehead betrayed her true emotions. They were taking this seriously. These two had already soared past 5 million points, leaving every other player scored in the dust. Except for one. GGY. And GGY had monopolized the top three slots on both machines, their score soaring past a staggering 50 million points each. Yet, that persistent nagging in Tony's mind refused to relent. Why did GGY sound so familiar? Leaving the girls to their fierce competition, Tony retraced his steps, his eyes scanning the arcade machines. It didn't take long before he spotted GGY's name atop another scoreboard, yet their score again, an insurmountable challenge for anyone else to reach. As he kept pursuing every machine in which he could spot a high scoreboard, while it was clear that GGY had a few specific games they preferred over others, Anyone they did play, their scores was in the stratosphere compared to everybody else's. Who was this arcade phenomenon? How did they get such high scores? Were they just simply that good? Or is it possible someone has been cheating in the Fascade? A sly grin curled the corner of Tony's mouth as a spark of excitement ignited within him. These were the kind of questions that stoked his creative fire. An authentic mystery, one he intended to solve. After all, he needed to practice investigative work if he ever hoped to become a journalist. 
Tony's father used to say that his son's curiosity was his defining trait, but it had often landed him in trouble. He couldn't forget the time he published his investigative newsletter across their old neighborhood, uncovering stories of lost dogs and vanishing porch decorations. The neighborhood had embraced his efforts along with his parents for a time, up until his last published article. It led to slashed tires on his father's Corvette, a consequence of his seven-year-old self inability to grasp the subtleties of reporting on a married man's extensive visits to a younger single woman's house. Tony knew what his father was trying to say though, and he also knew why he didn't want him to get invested in pursuing a career in investigating life's mysteries. When he would eventually graduate college and land a position at a news organization, his first mission would be to unravel the truth behind the lost money surrounding his father's conviction, regardless of his father's guilt or his innocence. He had to know to vindicate his father's name or confront the painful reality of his father's deceit. First things first, he needed to see if there had been any eyewitnesses to this arcade prodigy. Tony decided to return to the Pinball Queens. It was highly likely that gamers of such extraordinary skill would run the same circles, or at the very least cross paths. As he approached the girls, still locked in their Pinball Showdown, Tony debated whether it was appropriate to strike up a conversation while they played. Some gamers had no qualms about talking while playing, as he had seen in Let's Play videos. However, more hardcore gamers might react with hostility if interrupted mid-game. Tony decided to approach the girls anyway. Nothing wrong with at least trying to spark up a small conversation. The worst they could do was give him a dirty look or call him a name. He'd gone through worse than that. Being the son of a convicted criminal, you need thick skin. Tony still recalled how annoying the paparazzi used to be at his house shoving cameras and microphones in his and his mother's face. It was a miserable experience every time they had to leave the house. Tony decided to focus on his approach with the redhead first. She appeared to be more comfortable, even if it was just for show. He hovered just slightly to the side of the machines, but not too close that he would be too bothersome. He waited till one of them glanced his way. Then he lifted his hand and waved, and it did his best to be as casual as possible. You got mad skills. <laughs> Both of you do. You're incredible at this game. The redhead merely pursed her lips, but the black-haired girl's focused frown transformed into a proud smile. They didn't say a word to him, but that meant they didn't dismiss him either. Tony decided to buy his tie, letting them reach a point where they might feel comfortable enough to engage in conversation. Eventually, when the redhead regained her lead, she glanced over at Tony. You a stalker or something? Well, not the best conversation opener, but despite how desperate it sounded, she still didn't tell him to go away. Oh, no, no, not a stalker. Just curious. I'm trying to find out who GGY is, and I thought since you and your friend obviously play a lot, you might have seen him. GGY? The black-haired girl spoke up, an undiscernible expression on her face that seemed like a mix of confusion and concentration. Tony pointed at the scoreboard. GGY scores are way higher than anyone else's. You two are the best scorers on these machines, but like, GGY scores are in another reality. <laughs> well, I never look at the high score roster. I couldn't care less. All I want to do is beat her. In your dreams. Delusional, are we? 
<laughs> you know, you're kind of cute. How old are you? Mm, um, I'm in seventh grade. Twelve. <sighs> Dang. Too young. We're sophomores. Um, uh... So you don't know who GGY is? No idea. You should ask Axel. Who is Axel? A, B, C. Uh, excuse me? Axel Brandon Campbell, he's probably around here somewhere. What does Axel look like? Short, about your height, but he's four years older than you are. Really long face, little mouth, big ears. Wears a stupid hat. Oh, yeah. What kind of hat? The kind of hat you go fishing with. Or at least, my dad does. Bucket hat. That's it! And it's in a really ugly green. Now go away, kid. You're messing with my groove. Oh, like you even have a groove. Well, thanks for your time. Neither girl acknowledged him as he left. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. With his new lead, he flew up to the third story of the Fazcade. The girls were probably right that Axel was here as well. Today was the biggest day for crowds in the Pizzaplex. Today was the free roam days for the Pizzaplex. No scheduled concert performances for the glam rock band. Instead, the animatronics strolled around through the various facilities of the Pizzaplex, interacting and joking around with the guests as well as performing impromptu routines on the fly. Tony peered down at the Fazcade's disco floor and immediately spotted Montgomery Gator, mesmerizing a groaning crowd with his breakdance moves. As he ventured onto the third floor, doubts began to creep in about the girl's reliability. Were they merely toying with him, providing false information, or just saying what he wanted to hear to make him depart? But after ten minutes of searching for him, he found a teenage boy with the body shape of a gremlin playing the Bunbarian's arcade machine ugly green bucket hat and all. Tony cast a glance at the arcade's high score, confirming that GGY had not ventured into this particular game. Perhaps Axel had strategically chosen the games that GGY avoided to etch his name on the high scoreboard of the arcade. This game required players to manage multiple little characters, excluding Bonnie's, rather than fixating on a single character. Given Axel's likely status as a hardcore gamer who might react negatively to an interruption, Tony decided to bide his time, waiting for Axel to finish this round. It took a few more minutes before Tony could step forward. 
That was impressive. You're really good at this game. Axel's head snapped up so swiftly that his bucket hat nearly soared from his head. His scowl was palpable, but Tony pressed on, maintaining his friendly demeanor. As he learned navigating his school grounds, Kalamans often had the power to disarm people. I've seen your initials on other games too. Uh, which game is your favorite? What's your deal? My deal? I, I don't have a deal. Sure you do. You wouldn't be talking to me if you didn't have a deal. Okay, deal. <laughs> I'm trying to find out who GGY is. The person whose scores are so much higher than everybody else's here. I was told you might know. Who told you that? I don't know their names. They were two girls. One with black hair, the other red. Their initials were KXT and CRF on the high scoreboard. Kenzie and Crystal, a couple of stuck-up snobs. Tony didn't get that impression, but he decided to continue working on getting on his good side. Uh, yeah, I got that feeling too. But are they right? Do you know who GGY is? Nah, I don't know who GGY is. Hey, I'm not done playing! Scram, kid! <sighs> but the guy's score are too high. Way too high. Oh, that's what I thought too. I asked around a while back, and no one has seen him play. Scores like that, you'd think he want the limelight, you know? At the very least, you'd think somebody would have seen them play. He. It's a guy. And he's a ghost. Axel, seemingly uninterested in further conversation after his rather sexist remark, refocused his attention on the arcade game he was monopolizing. Tony, recognizing a dead end when he saw one, opted to let Axel be. He strolled through the bustling arcade, his keen eyes scanning the crowd. No one appeared particularly approachable, and as his leads had run dry, he had harbored no illusions about extracting information from casual arcade goers. They were unlikely to hold the answers he sought. Nonetheless, Tony refused to concede defeat. Giving up was not an option. He knew he had to recalibrate his strategy, seeking a different approach to unravel this mystery. Lost in his thoughts, he couldn't see where he was going and he bounced off a stocky chest of a Fazbear Entertainment employee. Whoa there, dude. Sorry about that. The attendant jerked Tony back up with one arm. You good? Sorry, that was my fault. I wasn't watching where I was going. <laughs> what do you know? Polite kid. That's a nice change of pace. Um, Finbar. Yeah, that's an Irish name, right? Hey, and how about that? Polite and not all me, me, me. You're alright, kid. Name's Finbar. Means fair-headed. My mom and I toe-headed when I was born. She's 100% Irish. Down in County Cork. Said Finbar was Cork's patron saint. Yeah, in Irish folklore, he was king of the fairies. Impressive. How'd you know about that? I wrote a story about how folklore has created a lot of our society's customs. <laughs> You're a pretty interesting little dude. You know, I saw you wandering around staring at people earlier, and I thought that something might have been weird with you or something. Or something. <laughs> yeah, I could see that. That is so unfair. Off to their side. A little girl with strawberry blonde hair was throwing a tantrum at the Fruity Maze arcade machine. 
a game over jingle was playing over what sounded like a chortle, as if the machine knew it had bested her. Strange, the machine actually looked relatively old compared to some of the more advanced cabinets. It was pretty small too. Excuse me. Hey there, princess. You break it, your mama and daddy are gonna buy it. And they won't be happy with you. I'm not a princess, you jerk. And you're lying. Have it your way. PC on F level 2, aisle 7. As the little girl kept kicking the console, eventually, the power shut off and the screen went dark. You did not just do that. Pretty sure I just did. Don't worry. You can tell my friend all about it. The girl looked like she was about to kick Finbar, but a middle-aged Pizzaplex security guard grabbed her shoulder. Come on, miss. Let's go. The little girl shot a dirty glance at Finbar, who just shrugged. She dramatically folded her arms before catching Tony in her line of sight. <laughs> he must have been smiling pretty widely, but he couldn't help it. All right, we're moving on, kid. While the theatrics of it were all fun to watch, Tony had to admit it was impressive to see how fast Phasma Entertainment had reacted to a situation. The way Finbar shook his head and the attitude of the security guard made it look like this was a regular routine they'd gotten used to, doing this hundreds of times by now. A far cry from where apparently Phasma Entertainment used to handle their security measures back in its inception. Finbar stepped back over to Tony. Okay, where were we? Hmm, a good question. Tony hadn't really any reason to keep talking with Finbar. Why was he still standing here? Perhaps. It's because he'd been thinking of it all wrong. If Fazbear Entertainment couldn't monitor and coordinate their customers like this, perhaps he is exactly the right person he needs to talk to. So, maybe honesty is the best approach here. Uh, the reason I've been wandering around is that I've been trying to figure out who GGY is. You see, they're the highest the, scoring uh, player in at least a dozen of the machines in this section of the Pizzaplex alone. Uh, yeah, exactly. I noticed his high scores are way, way higher high than should be possible. Impressive. I'm uh, I'm doing this story for my writing class, and I thought finding out who he was and figuring out how he did it would be a good subject. Say, uh, what's your name, kid? T Tarbell. Nice to meet you, Ta-Ta-Ta-Bell. Listen, I need you to keep an eye on the Sioux. Walk with me. Finbar motioned with his chin, and Tony followed by his side as they strode through the Fazcade. As they went by, Finbar pointed at a few machines, mostly pinball, but a few other machines as well, all of which apparently had GGY as the top-scoring player by a wide margin. I'm very aware of GGY, although I'm not sure any of the arcade attendants are. Uh, most of them just dial it in, you know, put their hours in and go back to their lives. Me? I figure if I'm gonna do something, I might as well do it and not just go through the motions, you know? I, I do, yes. I've got a buddy who's one of the tech guys here. I asked him to run diagnostics on the machines GGY scored so high on. I was sure the dude or dudette hacked the machines, but my guy says the machines are as they should be couldn't find any trace of a hack. But if someone is playing a game that well, and for that long at a time, they'd be clearly visible. Not if nobody's there to see it. So you think GGY is sneaking in and playing after hours somehow? Finbar pulled on a small keychain on his belt, and flared it in front of Tony. 
Fazbear employee passes can get you access to most of the establishment. But once someone loses it, it's immediately deactivated. I'd say a last card gets used up at most once or twice before the system shuts down. Plus, only a security badge can get you in and out of the building. And then again, my fellow co-workers can get pretty careless with these things. Mm. Oh, sorry, kid. I got another issue on the bottom floor. I'll see you around. And uh, let me know if you solve your mystery. I will. You'll be the first to know. Tony watched as Finbar briskly descended the stairs. Though Finbar had extended some courtesy, his assistance had proven limited. All Tony had gleaned from their conversation was that GGY likely wasn't hacking the arcade machines, though the possibility still lingered. Just because Finbar's tech expert couldn't detect foul play didn't mean it didn't exist. Some hackers just possessed the skill to conceal their tracks with the utmost finesse. Tony, however, yearned for more concrete evidence, or, at the very least, a fresh lead to pursue. Yet, time was against him. His visit to the pleasuplex was drawing to a close, and Rabs and Boots were undoubtedly wondering where he had disappeared to. Descending the stairs to the ground floor, Tony retrieved his phone and sent Boots a text, informing them that he intended to grab some pizza at the food stand just outside the Fazcade. He suggested they rendezvous there before leaving. As he sent the message and took only a few steps onto the first floor, a sudden flash of luminous white caught Tony's attention. He glanced up and to his left, the same spot where he had conversed with Finbar on the third floor. He was being watched, not by a person, but by one of the roaming animatronics. Tony offered a nonchalant wave to the source of the gleaming white eyes, an imposing orange animatronic bear adorned with crimson armored shoulder pads. It sported a black top hat and bow tie. Glamrock Freddy. However, Freddy did not reciprocate the gesture. Instead, he continued to fix Tony in his intense gaze, as though assessing him with unwavering scrutiny. A shiver slithered down Tony's spine, prompting him to quicken his pace. As he reached the elevator leading to the main atrium, he cast a backwards glance. Freddy remained in the same spot, not physically moving, but his unbroken eye contact persisted, instilling an eerie sense of unease in Tony's gut. Throughout the following week, Tony persisted in his quest to uncover the identity of GGY. However, his visits to the Pizzaplex were met with no progress being made. It appeared that that well had run dry on any new information. After contemplating the situation, considering that GGY's reputation seemed widespread among arcade regulars, he began to ponder the possibility that the answers he sought resided not in a physical location, but within the digital realm. Online forums and communities dedicated to the Pizzaplex might hold the key to unlocking GGY's identity. Creating a user account, Digger1, across various sites and communities, Tony posed the same question in every form he visited. Does anyone know all the high scorers in the Pizzaplex? 
He believed this indirect approach would generate more responses than directly inquiring about GGY. After all, it may sound weird if he specifically called them out. Maybe those girls were right in asking if he was a stalker. Tony rarely got any helpful information from the responders. Instead, he mostly looked back at some older forms in hopes that GGY may have used to be an active user. Yet the hours he invested in seemed to have been a worthless endeavor. That was until Thursday evening. That was when a user named Morgan99 confronted him. Tony sat cross-legged in his room, feeling somewhat disheartened by the lack of progress in his investigation. A glimmer of hope ignited when he received a notification, not in the form of a comment of one of his posts, but a private message from Morgan99. Morgan99 messaged, quote, Why are you asking about people? That familiar spark of curiosity and determination surged within Tony. His fingers hovered over the keyboard of his laptop, a brief internal debate pausing him before he chose how to respond. Should he adopt a straightforward approach, or hold his cards close to his chest? Ultimately, he decided to reply with, Curious about GGY. A minute later, Morgan and I responded back again. We'll PM you tomorrow night, in another form I'm in, same time. Tony quickly typed back, what do you know? Tony waited again, but Morgan 99 never responded. He furled his brow and reclined in his computer chair, trying to think back to when he had saw the name Morgan before. He was fairly certain that he had encountered it while inquiring about high score players of the Fazcade, although what specific form that was eluded him. It was likely to be the same one Morgan 99 would try to reach out to him from. To be safe, he'd have to check every form he had visited. He couldn't afford to lose this lead. Tony shut his laptop aside and commenced pacing around his room. While he mentally noted tomorrow night's plans, his focus at present revolved around his agenda for the following afternoon. Reflecting on his conversation with Finbar, he deduced that even if GGY had been exploiting the system to gain late entry, or manipulating the games to achieve impossible high scores, there must be some record of their activities. Hmm. Anyone who entered the Pizzaplex had to submit their facial data to Fazbear Entertainment security measures, designed to deter criminals from infiltrating the premises. The question remained, how could Tony access this information? The answer, while not easy to execute, was conceptually simple. He needed an entry to an employee kiosk equipped with an employee security card, a setup he frequently witnessed workers utilizing throughout the Pizzaplex. Finbar had mentioned that a stolen card could be used effectively once or twice before the system flagged it as lost or stolen property. If he acted swiftly, he might access the customer databanks and probe the Pizzaplex of records before he's caught. The challenge laid with how much time he could spend exploring the Pizzaplex's inner workings. He had timed some employees going in and how long it took them to leave, and it was always roughly in 5-10 to 10 minute intervals. All Tony had to do to gain access would be to swipe the card from one of the careless employees Finbar had been talking about. He was pretty sure he could do that easily, although he was hesitant to steal. It gave him butterflies in his stomach. It reminded him of a story he and the rest of the three amigos had written about a group of pickpockets. Tony had become quite adept at sleight of hand for the sake of creating authentic characters in his tale. 
immersing himself in the mindset and movements of a pickpocket. Had it been not for Miss Sato's insistence on fiction-only projects, he might have pursued an expose on pickpocket organizations instead, sparing himself from learning these deviant skills. Tomorrow would be his chance to put his acquired knowledge to the test. It was Friday, and Boots and Rab would likely want to visit the Pizzaplex. As long as he didn't disappear for an extended period of time, they wouldn't question his leisurely wanderings. They knew he enjoyed people watching to inspire his stories. He should have ample time to lift a card, access a kiosk with a functioning computer, and delve into the Pizzaplex records. Tony slid into his bed, inhaled deeply and exhaled, and after downing a shot of NyQuil, he pulled the covers over himself, preparing for a restful night. He could do it. Tomorrow. The key to a good pickpocket was distraction. If you can combine that with abusing a human's capacity for compassion, it was nearly a foolproof method to take an item off a mark. Or so Tony had read. He had already left boots and rabs battling it out on the ski ball machines. Tony went out to the main lobby of the Pizzaplex, resting on the edge of the circular base that held the massive Glamrock Freddy statue. He was trying to look as inconspicuous as possible while scoping out the employee kiosks and looking for a potential victim. The first two kiosks he had appeared his head into, he could tell didn't have computers, but instead were just general equipment storage areas. The third one, by the entrance with the turnstiles, did have a computer. And there, just a few feet away, a Pizzaplex employee was giving direction to a large and rowdy family. For the last time, if you want to reach Bunny Bowl, you're going to first need to buy a pass for each one of your children, which you can find over at the help desk. And if you can't find the building I'm literally pointing to right now, then you need more help than they can provide. The employee, a dark-haired woman with a flat-top haircut, was red-faced as she tried to talk to the dad with three screaming children tugging on his pant legs. She was frustrated and looked close to snapping. Whether at the father or the children or both didn't seem like it mattered. Once they finally let her be, Tony knew that this was his moment. Quickly, he strided forward as if to pass the female employee, but Tony deliberately scuffed his shoe on the black and white tiles and face planted hard onto the ground. The Pizzaplex employee immediately rushed over and bent down to help Tony upright. My goodness, are you okay? The woman, whose name tag read Kathy, had compassion even while she was frustrated. Perfect. Tony made a big deal rubbing his knee and contorted his face to express some deep pain. I think so. Here, let me help you up. Tony took her hand and Kathy pulled him up off the floor. Slightly, Tony used his other hand to snag her keycard off her lanyard. He felt a little shame as he stuffed the keycard quickly in his back pocket, especially since Kathy seemed to have kind eyes. But her kindness did allow for him to snag a keycard without getting caught, a triumph that wouldn't be possible without some element of betrayal. Where does it hurt? Is it your knee? Now to make his getaway. 
He kept rubbing his knee, pretending to test it as he flexed it in and out. Uh, it seems to be fine. It just smarted there for a second. Serves me right. I was being clumsy. You sure you're okay? I just need to walk it off. Really, I'm fine. Thanks for your help. All right. Stay safe, kid. Tony began walking away, faking a sort of limp as he did so. Looking back, it seemed like Kathy was caught by another patron who was asking for directions. Luck had helped him out. Tony didn't waste any time. He made his move in conjunction with another glam rock performance. It was free roam day again. Currently, a crowd was gathering around the lobby as Roxanne and Chica were performing some form of impromptu sketch on a makeshift stage up in the lobby's second floor. Tony used Kathy's keycard to open the tall booth-shaped kiosk and let himself inside. The small square room was compact, and with all the sides being half wall, half window, with exception to the door, which was solid and had a corkboard for employee notes and notices on it, he had little room to hide. Tony took the keyboard off the small desk and squatted down to hide beneath the observation windows. Thankfully, his life was made a little easier by the fact that the keyboard was cordless. Following the plan he had concocted throughout the week, he began tapping the keyboard quickly and started flying through the various records and databases, stopping once he reached the customer databank. Double-clicking on it, he began to scroll through the hundreds of entries until he hoped to stumble upon an account labeled GGY. He didn't know if he would be named that in the databanks, but he had hoped there was some indication that he was in there. Again, he got lucky. He found GGY on the fifth databank he tried, where was this luck when his father was being convicted? The databank they were under wasn't a customer database, so it did not include a photo, but rather a Pizzaplex PlayPass databank. Opening the file in question, Tony frowned. The Pizzaplex passes were relatively simple, just white cards with a black stripe, honestly no different than Kathy's security card. Just a simple card meant to do specific functions and hold specific user information. The card issued to GGY, however, had more going on than just an unlimited ride pass. It had a semi-transparent Fazbear Entertainment logo, which seemed to be how the Pizzaplex signified that a keycard had security clearance. If you recall correctly, Fitbar had said only the security staff badges could access any employee-only area and open the entrances to the building after hours. Tony tilted his head back to get a better look, since the desk from this angle was covering the lower quarter of the screen. Next to the image of the hacked play pass was a list of three names along with GGY. It looked like GGY had used the pass not just for themselves, other users had been registered with the card. The names only had three initials like GGY. They included RAE and TRE. <sighs> A scrape outside the kiosk door caused Tony's eyes to widen. He glanced up to his right and saw the back of a Pizzaplex employee right outside the observation window. Tony quickly put the keyboard back up and opened the door as gently as possible and as little as possible to not make it noticeable. He crawled out of there 
just before tossing Kathy's pass inside a small booth. Luckily, it seemed that that employee was talking with another co-worker and had noticed him. He sighed in relief when he realized that nobody had seemed to have spotted him. Given Fazbear Entertainment's fast response time he had witnessed in the Fazcade, he wasn't sure if he had enough time to get away with it to begin with. Tony made his way to the elevators in the main atrium and took it up with a group of other patrons. Hmm. Clearly, he thought, GGY was not only an amazing player, but also a proficient hacker. A very proficient hacker. But why did they want to access the behind the scenes area of the Pizzaplex? Then again, with those multiple registered users, maybe there was more than one person going by the acronym. Perhaps GGY had stood for something other than a name, and it was a hacker organization running rampant in the Pizzaplex. Tony shook his head as the elevator doors opened. He had to remember, when you hear hoofsteps, you think horses, not zebras. Until he had further proof, GGY was one person, and one person with a mysterious agenda beyond one-upping everyone at a few arcade games. As he walked into the main atrium, chewing on his thoughts, he wasn't paying much attention to his surroundings. That was until he saw a shimmer of white lights from the corner of his eyes. Tony tensed up, but kept walking, barely turning his head to use his peripheral vision to check what had got his attention. And as he expected, he spotted Glamrock Freddy. The animatronic was pacing Tony, about three feet or so behind his right shoulder. He was ignoring every single other person that was walking by him, instead completely focused on shadowing where he was going. Tony felt his mouth go dry. Was it possible that Freddy had saw him leave the kiosk back in the lobby? Was Freddy in the lobby too? He only remembered seeing Chica and Roxy, but he couldn't recall his surroundings when he left. He was too focused on not getting seen by humans, not robotic mascots. Tony risked another glance and saw that Freddy's eyes were narrowing. They had somewhat picked up the pace. If the animatronics had been programmed for security, like some of Fazbear Entertainment's older models, Freddy might report him to staff. Or worse, confront Tony himself. Tony didn't believe in the old tales of Fazbear Entertainment's animatronics bloody history, but he did remember in every one of those stories that the robots could get quite violent once they had a hold on you. Tony picked up the pace, practically running through a crowd of people in front of the line to Fazer Blast. He shot down the nearest aisle until he made it back to the stairs and up to the third floor to the Fazcade. He waited there for a brief moment until he was certain he had lost Freddy. Luckily, the robot was nowhere to be seen. Tony wiped his sweaty palms in his collar shirt and let his pulse relax. He was all right. He was safe. And he got away with it. Now, he just needed to find his friends and get out of here. When Tony made it home, he did nothing but continuously pace around his room, pondering what he had learned. GGY had hacked a pass, and there were people who clearly knew he had access, and more importantly, knew who they were. Yet, nobody was talking about them. And that's on top of them having access to almost every single employee-only area in the Pizzaplex, whether online or physically in the compound. Which meant 
that this person was such a proficient hacker that they could create a pass that could give them this unlimited access. Or, even more mysterious, an employee with security access had given them this pass. Soon, he realized it was going to be 10 p.m. He quickly pulled out his laptop. Maybe Morgan 99 would have some answers. Logging into the form he hoped was the right one, he checked his private messages, and sure enough, he'd gotten a message from Morgan 99 right at 10 p.m. Morgan had PM'd. So what do you know? Tony frowned a tight back. About what? Don't be dense. GGY. Tony wiggled his fingers over the keyboard. He was hesitant to divulge, but so far in this investigation, honesty never ceased to lead to answers. He quickly typed out. GGY has hacked a Pizzaplex pass. They can go anywhere in the Pizzaplex. I want to know why they're doing that. Morgan responded, huh, Not bad for a little kid. Tony narrowed his eyes. How did this person know he was a kid? Yeah, I know who you are. You're playing with fire. Who are you? Maybe in 30 minutes. Under the south side bleachers at our high school. Morgan locked out. Tony looked at his window and saw the rain pouring hard yet again. Tony inhaled the familiar scent of his grandmother's cooking still wafting in the air. He didn't want to leave his house and meet some stranger in the dark of the rain. And yet, he had to. He had every investigator's dream, a source, and he wasn't about to lose it. He needed to take advantage. He needed to meet with them, this Morgan 99. If he didn't, could he really desire to be an investigative reporter in the future? Journalists weren't cowards, and neither was he. Tony put his ear to his closed bedroom door. He could hear his grandmother's television broadcasting the nightly news on a close to max volume as possible. His grandma's hearing wasn't great, and that usually meant that he and his mom would wear earbuds during this time of the night to unwind. But that was good for Tony tonight. Tony put on his poncho and pulled out a flashlight from his dresser. Was there anything else he should take? Tony looked around his room before staring at his closet. He opened it and pulled out an aluminum baseball bat. He wasn't sure if this was going to be dangerous, but he couldn't be 100% certain either. Why not take the risk while being armed? He looked around the room one last time. Was there anything else he needed? Just your courage, come on. You got it, so just your courage. He threw open his bedroom window and crawled out. Mm. His bike was resting beneath the front porch, so he didn't need to alert his mom or grandma he was leaving so late at night. He sat on the moist seat cushion and began pedaling in the warm rain, backlit by the moonlight. He pedaled down the driveway, onto the road that led to town, awaiting whoever Morgan was, and hoped that answers would be waiting for him. Why couldn't I collect stamps for a hobby?
Thus ends tonight's program of End of the Night. Who is this Morgan 99? And what does she know about GGY? Why would Glamrock Freddy stalking Tony throughout the Pizzaplex? And who truly is the person behind the GGY moniker? And what is their intentions? All of that and more next time on End of the Night. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like to stay updated, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing this podcast. It truly helps us do to broaden our reach. Consider following us on Twitter at Fazbear Podcast, joining on our community Discord, or supporting us on our Patreon merch store using the various links in the description of this episode. I've been your host, Nick, and I want to thank all of you once again for tuning in to this broadcast. Have a good night, folks, and drive home safe. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today, or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.